0: Once Upon a Time is right now, here at Fable City Radio, with your host, Martha Whitehouse. Tonight, on Fable City Radio, we'll be reading the fairy tale that frightened me more than any other story I read as a child. That story is Bluebeard. It gave me the heebie-jeebies. I think my parents got me an especially gruesome edition of Charles Perrault's stories, because yikes. Yikes. There was an illustration in the story depicting the interior of Bluebeard's ghastly closet that troubled me for weeks. The story of Bluebeard is almost infuriatingly sexist at times, but I think there are still lessons in the story that make it less objectionable, and I'll talk about those after the story. Bluebeard was written by Charles Perrault, who lived from 1628 to 1703, it was published in the book Stories, or Tales, from Past Times, depending on how you translate it, published in 1697. Although Bluebeard is a fairy tale, it is possibly, or at least partly, based on a couple of notorious serial killer cases from an earlier time. One of those cases was the case of the serial killer Gilles Rais. He was a nobleman who fought alongside Joan of Arc, but he was also convicted of the sexually motivated murders of a lot of children. In 1434, he retired from fighting the Brits, wrote a bad theater production that was almost certainly a tribute to himself, dabbled in the occult, and assaulted and killed upwards of 100 children between the years 1432 to 1440. Another possible source of inspiration for the story is the legend of Conomer the Cursed and his ill-fated marriage to Tryphine. Great name. Conomer lived sometime in the 6th century in Brittany, an area on the western coast of France. The story goes that Conomer's wife Tryphine was visited by the ghosts of Conomer's ex-wives who came to warn her that he had murdered each of them when they became pregnant. Trifine, horrified because she has just found out that she herself is pregnant, runs away. Unfortunately, Connemer catches up with her and cuts off her head, but Trifine, so the story goes, is miraculously brought back to life by a saint and gets her revenge by collapsing the walls of Connemer's castle in on him, ultimately becoming a saint herself. I have taken my usual liberties in telling the story of Bluebeard in my own way, but the structure is essentially intact. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Once upon a time, there was a very wealthy man who had every material comfort and treasure that his vast fortune could buy. He had everything he wanted, except he lacked a wife and mistress to grace his estate. No woman who looked upon this wealthy man would accept him as a husband because of his appearance and because of his rumored marital history. The man had a very blue beard, and indeed, Bluebeard was the only name anyone ever knew him by. The other mark against Bluebeard was that rumors of previous marriages plagued his reputation, and no one could ever say what had become of his previous wives, or even how many previous wives he had ever married. When Bluebeard built a large and impressive castle in a new area of the kingdom he lived in, he decided to seek out a new wife to be mistress there. He found that there was a widow of noble birth who had two beautiful daughters, and he pressed himself upon her to demand the hand of one of the two young women in marriage.
1: I would have one of your daughters as my new wife, madam. I do not care which one you offer me, he said, as they are equal in beauty and grace.
0: He rode away after demanding she provide an answer by the following morning. When the noblewoman informed her daughters of Bluebeard's offer of marriage, both of them recoiled in disgust. "'His beard!' cried the eldest sister. "'I don't want a husband who is so ugly. What will my friends say? What will our children look like? There are also many rumors about his other wives. What happened to them? Where are they? He never answers any questions.' The youngest sister agreed wholeheartedly. "'That beard is most unsavory,' she declared. "'I don't want to share a house with such a person, much less a bed.'" The next day, when Bluebeard returned to claim his bride, the noblewoman met him in her parlor without her daughters in attendance.
1: "'Where is my bride?'
0: demanded Bluebeard. "'I am sorry, sir,' said the mother. "'But each of my girls, who love and cherish each other so much,' are unwilling to deprive the other of the opportunity to marry you, so they both politely decline. Bluebeard was angry, but he had a plan. He went home and created an invitation to the greatest week-long party that anyone in that area had ever heard tell of. He invited the two sisters, plus all of their friends who lived in the area, to the event. The party was a huge success with hunting, fishing, music, dancing, and feasts. There was much merrymaking, and everyone had so much fun that by the end of the week, the youngest sister found that she didn't really mind Bluebeard's blue beard so very much anymore, and she was pleased and surprised with his gentlemanly manner and courtly attentions toward her. When she returned home, she agreed to marry Bluebeard and become mistress at his castle. She forgot her concerns about Bluebeard's past wives and convinced herself that rumors were usually unreliable and told only by jealous people. The couple held a wedding, attended by a few people on the bride's side and no one on the groom's side. This accomplished, the new couple settled into their lives in Bluebeard's castle. After some time had passed, Bluebeard called his wife to him and said,
1: Lady wife, I must go on a trip that may last many weeks to attend to some business. While I am gone, you may invite as many friends as you like to share the bounty of our house and amuse yourself however you please. Here are my keys. This one, he said, holding up a large key, is the key to the two large cabinets that hold all of our best dishes so that you can serve your guests. This next key is the key to my strong box, where I keep my money, in case you need to buy something. The third key belongs to the casket, where all of my jewels are kept. And the fourth is the key that unlocks all the rooms in the castle, except for one room. That room is a closet that is opened with this key.
0: He said, as he held up a small, dark key.
1: I give you leave to open any door or compartment you like, save this one. Do not unlock the door to that closet. Do not even fit the key into the lock. This above all other things you must not do under any circumstances. For if you do, terrible punishments will come that you do not want to face.
0: Bluebeard's wife promised to obey all of his orders to the letter. He kissed her goodbye and got into his carriage to leave. Once Bluebeard was gone, His wife's friends wasted no time in availing themselves of the hospitality of the castle, and they visited her for days at a time. They were eager to see all the riches of the legendary Bluebeard, but they had been reticent to attend the wedding because of his strange blue beard and the murky rumors about his ex-wives. Using the keys left to her by Bluebeard, the wife showed her guests every treasure, and her friends feasted upon the fine china and relished with admiration all the wealth spread before them. They explored every room, ooing and eyeing over everything they saw. As the visits wore on, the wife found herself enjoying them less and less. Slowly, her mind became focused only on seeing what lay beyond the door of the forbidden closet, and her curiosity started overwhelming the warnings that Bluebeard had given her about the dire consequences that would accompany opening the closet door. My dear husband, who has agreed to my every wish and provided me with every luxury, would surely not deny me the right to know what lies within my own home, she thought. So one day, when the guests had finally drifted away, she decided to look into the forbidden closet. She waited until it was nighttime and all of the servants were fast asleep. Then she carried a lantern to the closet and fitted the small key into the lock The door swung open with an ominous shriek, and when she raised her lantern to the darkness, she found a nightmare inside. The bodies of more women than her mind could comprehend were stacked on the floor, some sitting, others lying, all covered with blood that had sprung from their necks when their heads had been chopped off. Their heads, with eyes wide open and staring in terror, were placed on shelves all around the room. The wife shrieked into her hands and dropped the key into a sticky puddle of blood. She rushed to pick it up, quickly locking up the horror in the room and ran to her bedroom where she threw herself on her bed and wept. She was shaking and terrified, but she fell into a fitful, nightmare-filled sleep. The next morning, she thought she might have dreamed the whole episode but when she reached into her pocket and withdrew the small key, it was covered with blood, and fear leapt back into her heart. She was so frightened, she thought she might faint. He must never know what I've done, she thought frantically. I've just, I'll just, just pretend I was never in there. She went to a sink to wash the blood off the small key, but it wouldn't come off, and it kept playing tricks on her, for it was a magic key. Whenever she succeeded in cleaning the blood off one side of the key, it would reappear on the other side. She tried again and again to rid the key of the incriminating blood to no avail. I just won't give it back to him, she thought despondently. When she returned to her room, she found a letter waiting for her from Bluebeard, telling her that his business was concluded and that he would be returning in just three days time. The wife's heart leapt to her throat. She knew she only had three days to prepare for Bluebeard's return. She wrote a letter to her brothers who were away in the army asking for their help and sent a messenger on a fast horse to deliver it. Every day she tried to clean the key, failing miserably each time. She was sitting in her parlor on the fourth day when she heard Bluebeard's carriage approaching. She went down to greet him, and she was trembling, her terror mounting with each hoofbeat and reaching a crescendo as she heard Bluebeard mounting the front steps. He entered the hall and greeted her, taking her in his arms.
1: Why are you trembling so, wife?
0: He asked. It is just the cold of this hall, she said. I can't seem to get warm.
1: Bluebeard said, I hear you have been entertaining quite a bit. That is fine. Now go and fetch me the keys I left with you. The wife
0: withdrew the set of keys from her pocket. Bluebeard looked at them and said,
1: Where is the little key to the closet, wife?
0: I... I... I must have left it upstairs on the table, she stammered.
1: Fetch it to me immediately, said Bluebeard
0: and there was a hint of menace in his voice. The wife went upstairs with a heavy heart and returned with the blood-stained key.
1: Why is this key covered with blood?
0: Asked Bluebeard. I don't know, said the wife. Well, I know why, bellowed Bluebeard.
1: You have gone where you were forbidden to go. I only asked one thing of you and you have disobeyed me. Now you shall die and go into the closet along with all the others who wouldn't obey me.
0: He started to draw his sword and the servants fled in fear. Please, my lord, begged the wife. It is true I have gone against your wishes, but if I am going to die, please give me leave to go upstairs and say my prayers one last time
1: i give you a quarter of an hour and no more snarled bluebeard any longer and i will come up and take your head where you kneel at your bed
0: the wife ran to her room and looked out the window in desperation she spotted her older sister who often took walks around the beautiful castle and she called down to her sister i am in danger go to the top of the tower and look out for me I requested help, and I need to know if our brothers are coming to my aid. The older sister climbed the outside staircase of the tower as quickly as she could, and called back, I see nothing, save the sun on the grass. After a few more minutes, the terrified sister called back, Do you see anything now? I see a little cloud of dust. Perhaps someone is coming. No... It is only a herd of sheep and the shepherd minding them. Bluebeard bellowed from the front hall.
1: Wife, come to me at once. Your time is almost up.
0: Just a few more minutes, my lord, she called back. I am still praying. It is very difficult to know what to say. Once again, she called out to her sister on the tower. What see you now? There is another cloud of dust, but it looks far away. It might be riders on horseback. Please let it be my brothers, thought the wife, desperate for deliverance.
1: Get down here at once, bellowed Bluebeard. Your time is up. I am coming now.
0: No, please, husband. I will be with you shortly, just a moment more. She cried loudly as she spoke. One last time she called out the window to her sister. What do you see now? It is definitely two men on horseback, yelled the sister, and they are in uniform. Listening to the cursing and bellowing coming from the stairs, the wife knew she could no longer put off Bluebeard. She descended the stairs slowly and loudly so he would know that she was on her way. When she reached the bottom step, she saw that Bluebeard, his eyes bulging with rage and his beard bluer than ever, had his sword at the ready. He bade her,
1: kneel before me, disobedient woman, and die like the rest.
0: Slowly, the poor woman kneeled and bowed her head. Bluebeard raised his sword, and just as he was about to strike, a furious commotion of pounding rocked the heavy front door. Bluebeard turned his attention to the door, but before he could take any action, the door burst open, and the wife's two brothers rushed in, cornered Bluebeard and put an end to him with their swords. The sister, half dead with terror from the last four days, ran to her brothers and they all hugged while she wept with relief. Bluebeard had no other heir as he had ended the lives of all of his curious wives before any of them could bear children. So the younger sister inherited all of his worldly goods. She bought her brothers fine new commissions in the army provided a generous dowry to her sister so that she could marry a man who had loved her all of her life, and the rest she shared with the new husband she met a year later, who loved her and treated her gently, and they all lived happily ever after for the rest of their lives. The end. I hope you have enjoyed my version of Bluebeard. I mentioned before the story how much this particular fairy tale scared and troubled me as a child. There really is only one gory scene after all, hardly worthy of an R rating, but when I read the story a couple of times, I realized that what was scaring me wasn't the gore, but the very idea that someone could seem kindly on the surface, yet hold inside themselves real ugliness, violence, and hatred in their hearts. After I read Bluebeard, my nightmares weren't about men with Bluebeards wielding swords. In my nightmares, the adults who were central to my childhood would show me pleasant faces and then act cruelly and say horrible things to me and about me. There are so many ideas presented in Bluebird Bluebird, Martha. Bluebeard, that I don't think I can cover them all in one setting. But here are a few of the ideas I have about the story. First, the obvious sexism element. It overlies everything. There's a strong whiff of the story of Eve and the biblical notion of original sin in Bluebeard, and women being responsible for all the evil that befalls them. But in that analogy, I guess I would make Bluebeard a vengeful god, and he's a pretty poor figure for that. There is also some speculation that Perrault wrote the story as an indictment of and admonition to disobedient women, that if they didn't follow their lords and masters they would all be punished. The story makes all sorts of sexist assumptions about Bluebeard being able to demand whatever he wants. A wife, he holds all the keys and all the wealth in the marriage, plus his wife owns nothing of her own. Two men have to rescue her at the end and she doesn't even get to keep Bluebeard's money. In the original story, she gives away all of it. The superficial, sexist elements of the story would make it pretty unpalatable to a modern audience, but I look at the story just a bit differently. One idea that comes to me as an adult reading and rewriting this story is the castle in the story, serving as a kind of a metaphor for the self and the body of the wife. Bluebeard owns the castle, and in the sexist spirit of the story, he also owns his wife. The two are analogous. The original story lays out clearly that Bluebeard builds a fabulous house, then he looks for a wife to install in it. When the bride wants to see the secret that lies within the closet, it could very well be a metaphor for her desire to know her own heart. She dismissed the warnings of her mind to marry Bluebeard, but somewhere, deep down, she knew there was something amiss. Superficial things like wealth and amusement led her to marry a man with qualities that deeply troubled her. She just pushed ahead, pushed aside her doubts, and plowed into the marriage. She has to open up a door in the heart of this house to find the truth, and in doing that she is opening a metaphorical door in herself to see the truth of her own marriage. It's a cautionary tale about following our original instincts about other people. We ignore our inner voice and our instinctive wisdom at our own risk. The story of Bluebeard reminds us of this fact. Number two, setting traps for people that you know they will fall into to use as an excuse for you to abuse them. Abusive and toxic people often do this. They create situations as tests for the people in their lives, usually tests that by their very nature, humans are unlikely to pass. Bluebeard's wife is curious. All human beings are curious. And the The surest way to make a person open a door is to say, whatever you do, don't open that door. The test of loyalty Bluebeard imposes on all of his wives is deeply unfair, and he knows it. It's just an excuse to give him a reason to murder them. He is murderous, but he wants to blame the victims for their own deaths. Uh, Number three, external looks as barometers for behavior. This is a controversial point, that was more accepted in past times, but I think Bluebeard raises the question about whether outside appearances presage inward character. I wouldn't recommend that anyone starts judging every book only by its cover, but my own experience has told me that people who habitually maintain unpleasant expressions on their faces often hold unpleasant ideas in their brains. Human beings are oriented toward faces from birth, and evolutionary survival has directed us to recognize faces and determine intent from facial expressions. It's the reason people are always seeing faces on pancakes, potatoes that look like Richard Nixon, and why they bestow humanity, we bestow humanity, on anything that seems to have features that resemble eyes and a mouth. At the end of the original story, The sexist overtones prevail with two men in the form of the wife's soldier brothers who must come and rescue their sister. Things seem to get better when the wife inherits all of Bluebeard's worldly goods, but the author makes sure to note that she spends most of the money on her siblings then gives the rest to a new husband she meets who treats her kindly. Gee, thanks, Charles Perrault. You allowed her to live and you let her remarry while keeping her penniless. That'll teach her not to obey. So, sexist and cringeworthy sometimes, I still hope you enjoyed the story. Until next time, don't move into a house until you look into all of the closets, and I'll see you again soon in Fable City Radio.